Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. I wanted to let you know that I'm offering coaching through Google Helpouts, over Skype, and on the phone. I've been running for 17 years, and I've learned that by running less and focusing on key workouts, you can reduce injuries while getting faster. Over the past couple of years, I've set personal records in the 5K through marathon, while running less than 25 miles per week. If you're interested in getting help running faster on less mileage, go to paleorunner.org coaching and schedule a help out with me. My guest today is Paul Jaminet, author of The Perfect Health Diet. He blogs at perfecthealthdiet.com. Paul, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, Aaron, it's great to be with you. Paul, so one of the first questions I've been asking my guests lately is, what have you had to eat today? Oh, um, what did I have today? I had, uh, uh, for lunch, I had a, uh, a bowl of uh, rice with egg yolks and leftover uh, Dung Po's pork and uh, uh, a little bit of coconut milk and rice vinegar and warm that up in the microwave. And I had a banana and I had a small chocolate bar and uh, an apple. And uh, I've had some uh, cheese and crackers. So we're now in the early evening. It's just before dinner for me. And, uh, you know, so I'll have dinner as soon as the podcast is over. Okay. So it sounds like you ha- you didn't have anything for breakfast. Do you do coffee or anything like that? Yeah, I, I drink black coffee. So I probably have uh, two or three cups in the morning, usually two. Okay. And I've heard that you don't recommend putting cream or anything like that in your coffee anymore. Is that true? That's right. Uh, so I think it's better to accentuate the fast and uh, not eat any calories. And, um, you know, so I think you get the greatest benefit from black coffee during the fast. Okay. And then those egg yolks, it sounds like you, you, you had a safe starch that you recommend and then you had some pork. Do you eat the egg yolks raw or do, do you cook those? Uh, I, I cook them. But I mix them in with food and, you know, it's basically with leftovers and then heat it in the microwave. So, uh, you know, between the egg yolks and the, and the coconut milk and the rice vinegar and, you know, the Dung Post pork had a little bit of uh, broth, you know, like gelatin. And, uh, you know, so there was enough liquid there that uh, the, the eggs would sort of mix with everything uh, and then just heat it in the microwave and... Uh, uh, you know, that warms the egg yolks enough to denature the proteins and make them more digestible. Um, and so that's all we're really looking to do uh, is, you know, help help kill any, you know, if it had any salmonella or anything, kill that and uh, make the proteins more digestible so you don't get an egg sensitivity. Okay. And Paul, how closely are you monitoring things like safe starch intake and percentages and things like that? Is it important to do that closely, or do you do you just listen to your tastes, or how does that work? Um, no, it. Um, I don't. I don't track it closely. It's it's just a matter of uh, listening to your body, partly, uh, but also uh, just sort of eyeballing things. So what you want is about the same volume of starch that you have as a volume of meat, uh, meat, fish, eggs, and. Uh, uh, you know, so if you match the volumes, then you'll be getting a good a good amount of carbs, uh, and then have a few pieces of fruit a day, and have vegetables. Um, 
you know, so that'll get you close. And then if you find that you have, you know, like a sugar craving, you want something sweet, then you're probably not eating enough carbs. Um, and, you know, so you can add a little more carbs, including starches, to your, to your meals if that's the case. Okay. And do you add any fats to that uh, bowl that you put in the microwave? Uh, no, it was just, uh, you know, the, uh, the pork is a reasonably fatty meat. And, uh, uh, you know, then I had uh, three egg yolks. So that's uh, lunch is when I usually get my three egg yolks a day, which we recommend as a uh, nutritional supplement. And, you know, I, and then a little bit of coconut milk. So, you know, people who would put uh, fat in their coffee, you know, I just, I just weighed and add something similar to lunch. So that was about, uh, no, maybe three tablespoons of coconut milk. Um, okay. And, and, you know, Paul, I wanted to say a big congrats to you. You, uh, you've got a newborn in your house now. Uh, I believe your son was born a few months ago. Uh, tell us how that's going. I I think I heard him there in the background a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. He was just, just crying a little bit in the next room. Um, yeah, he was born in August. He's, uh, uh, three months old. Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit over three months now, and um, uh, he's he's doing great. He's really healthy. He's uh, he's a very calm baby. Uh, he only he only cries when he needs food or a diaper change or uh, you know, and you know, so he's very predictable and uh, uh, very entertaining. And he's starting to be awake more and interact a lot more. Uh, and uh, so he's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And is is this your your first child, or do you have other kids? Um, well, we uh, adopted, and we were also guardians uh, to a few nieces and nephews. But they all arrived at an older age, so this is the first uh, infant that we've been, uh, you know, that we've uh, taken care of. So it, it's a it's a new experience for us. Yeah, yeah. You know, Paul, you talked uh, at the AHS about circadian rhythms and how that can deeply affect uh, weight gain. And I, I'm wondering, how is how are your circadian rhythms doing with a newborn in the house? Well, they're doing they're doing pretty well. Um, so you know, we're we uh, work pretty hard to maintain circadian rhythms, uh, not just for ourselves, but for the baby. Um, and, you know, so we keep things dark at night and we just use, uh, red and orange lighting at night and, uh, and we keep things very bright during the day. Uh, and you know, the baby does that too. So even though he sleeps during the day, uh, he, he sleeps under bright lights, uh, bright white lights and he doesn't, he doesn't sleep as much and he sleeps very well at night. Um, he pretty much, uh, will sleep continuously uh, you know, from about uh, 9 p.m. to 7 a.m., getting up twice uh, to eat, you know. So you typically get up, you know, maybe uh, once at midnight or 1 a.m. and once at 5 a.m., uh, and he might be up 45 minutes at a time. Uh, you know, so for us, it's, you know, it, it's pretty similar. It's just that we have to get up twice in the night to feed him, and so in order to get as much sleep ourselves, our, you know, sleeping time has to extend in an hour, hour and a half. Um, you know, so that cuts into our day a little bit, but, uh, you know, but we're trying to get a good amount of sleep and, 
you know, we still stick to a 12-hour nighttime, you know, where we have the dim lights. You know, so we're just going to bed a little earlier and waking up a little bit later. And our sleep is interrupted a few times. So it's sort of like what people talk about, biphasic sleep. We have triphasic sleep right now. Okay. And, uh, you know, but I think it's it's not necessarily that much different as far as health goes. Um, and you mentioned there that you keep the you keep the lights down low uh, in the evening. Now, are, do you go around your house and, and switch out all the light bulbs with the the amber bulbs that you can buy on Amazon for a few dollars, or do you can you just uh, do that by just dimming your lights? Well, we have two sets of lights. We've got bright white lights that we turn on in the day, uh, and then we have amber lights that we use at night. Um, so basically, we'll use. We'll use both sets during the day, and we'll use just the amber at night. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I found it interesting that you said that he naps under bright lights. So are you just keeping the windows open, or are you actively putting on uh, special lights to, to sort of <laughs> stimulate uh, daytime? Yeah, in the daytime, we open all the drapes and, and blinds, get as much sun as we can, but we also turn on uh, bright white lights. So we've got you know, all of our lighting for the daytime is, uh, has a color temperature of 5,500K or higher, you know, so it's all, um, you know, fairly blue, uh, natural spectrum type lighting. And, um, you know, so it gets pretty bright. Um, you know, we try to keep it pretty bright. So it's not, uh, it's still not as bright as going outdoors on a sunny day. Uh, but, it's uh, you know, it's pretty bright, so it, it should be good for circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think small changes uh, can can pretty have a pretty big effect. Like I, I know I I uh, talked to you a few months ago as it was starting to get colder, and and my hands were cracking and things like that. And you recommended a few supplements, and one of the ones I wasn't taking that you recommended was silica. And within a few days of starting to take that. Uh, just that one supplement, my, my hands, uh, the redness and the cracking went away. Do you think that's, that, that could have actually helped that quickly? Uh, uh, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it sounds like it, sounds like it did help. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, usually the places that are the most injured will attract the nutrient first, uh, because that's where, you know, where you have the wound healing process, they'll be trying to grab the nutrition that they need. Um, you know, so you may have noticed it, uh, in those places, uh, pretty quickly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you only had a few patches that were cracking, then, uh, uh, you know, I could see those clearing up in a few days once you get, you know, once you relieve the bottleneck of the nutrient that was most, most missing. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, so we've talked a little bit about circadian rhythms and one of the ways to, to help maintain those is with lighting. Um, Another one is with physical activity. What kind of physical activities uh, do you recommend to people to, you know, maintain their circadian rhythms and good health? All right. Well, you know, the classic recipe is a half hour a day of moderate intensity exercise. Uh, so that's like running, um, you know, biking, uh, you know, anything that, uh, you know, it doesn't, it gets your pulse up to, you know, maybe twice normal, uh, you know, it gets your, your breathing rate up, but, uh, not so much that it's arduous. If you do something high intensity, 
uh, that's really challenging. Most people don't like to do that because it's hard work. Uh, you know, but if you do that, you could do something like high intensity interval training and get your exercise in in 10 minutes a day. Um, you know, if you, if you do the pace that's challenging but enjoyable, you know, then you need half an hour a day. You know, or you could do something like walking for several hours a day. Um, you know, so there's various ways you can, uh, you know, you can get your circadian rhythm entrainment in. You know, the walking approach, uh, they found that, you know, just 10,000 steps a day uh, is enough. And, you know, so if you wear a Fitbit, you can count your steps. And, uh, uh, you know, so you could just assess, am I doing enough walking? Uh, if you don't do a lot of walking, like you're sitting in a chair, then it's good to make some time for exercise. So I like, I like running, uh, you know, but you can also do anything that elevates your pulse. Uh, strength exercises are good to do too. So you could do things like squats, uh, uh, kettlebell swings or pull-ups, push-ups, uh, you know, anything that challenges your body and gets your pulse up. Uh, you know, and the key is to do you know, aim for half an hour a day uh, during the daytime. And, uh, uh, you know, then you should be in good shape. Okay. So, Paul, what are you personally doing uh, to keep your activity levels up? Uh, are you still running? Yeah. So I go running every day as long as work and child care doesn't, uh, doesn't make it impossible. Uh, uh, you know, but I try, uh, my wife often comes home from work for, at lunchtime uh, for an hour and a half or so, and that gives me a chance to go running. And, uh, uh, you know, and if I can't, if I can't leave home, uh, you know, then I'll do things like I said. I'll do, I'll do squats. I'll do uh, kettlebell swings. We have a pull-up bar in our home, and uh, I'll do push-ups and planks and things like that. And, you know, I can also run in place at home. It's, it's not as much fun, but, uh, you know, it's still good exercise. Mm-hmm. And and Paul, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show today is to talk about some some ways that people can put this sort of lifestyle in, into practice. I've had you on Paleo Runner podcast now several times, and I've got a lot of good feedback. But what do people do when they come home from work, say, um, you know, five six o'clock at night, and they're they've got kids that they're taking care of, and they just need to put a meal on the table within you know twenty or thirty minutes. Do you have any ideas for some quick recipes or ways that we can go about uh, making this lifestyle work in, in a fast way? Well, one thing I would say is you should always have leftovers around. And, uh, you know, so we always have leftovers for lunch. And we'll often have, you know, sort of two, two small meals in the afternoon, you know, so you can eat leftovers several times. Um, and the other thing to do is have you know, snack food around. Uh, so when you get home, what we do, the first thing is we pull out uh, cheese and crackers and, you know, we'll have some cheese and crackers and, you know, maybe have a glass of wine. And, uh, you know, if you come home and you're hungry, then it's no fun to cook. Uh, you know, it's, and you want to push your food intake earlier in the day. So the best time to get your calories in is in the afternoon. Um, so it's actually a good idea to, uh, you know, have some snacks as soon as you get home, um, you know, get a little bit of calories in and then do your cooking, you know, more relaxed way, make enough food so that you have leftovers for the next day or two, uh, and then eat a relatively light 
dinner and save most of what you cook for leftovers for later days. Okay. So, you know, I would say, uh, you know, get in the habit of thinking, you know, your cooking is for tomorrow and the day after. And, uh, you know, today you're eating food that you cooked, you know, in the previous two days. And, uh, um, you know, and, and have some easy snacks that, you know, you can pull out and start eating in just a few minutes. And, you know, don't let yourself get really hungry. Okay, so you mentioned there just coming home for a snack, it's fine to have some cheese and crackers. What what kind of cheese and crackers are you eating? Uh, you know, a lot of people might think, well, isn't that a processed food? What what kinds of crackers are those? Uh, yeah, we, we eat rice crackers. Um, we eat actually Whole Foods has some uh, rice snaps uh, that don't have any oil. It's hard to find rice crackers made with healthy oils. Uh, most of them use safflower oil. Um, so we just get these uh, uh, plain rice snaps with, with no oil. And, um, you know, crackers are kind of, you know, they're not really, they're not something I can endorse 100%. You know, any, any flour-based product is... Uh, little harder to digest and uh, uh, you know but like I said as you know as a practical matter it's it's really good to uh, you know have a way to get some uh, you know to get some food really quickly with a minimum of effort uh, when you're hungry uh, you know so you don't really want to be you don't really want to be suffering from hunger especially at night because you don't want to push your food intake too late in the evening uh, that disrupts circadian rhythm. So, um, you know, so I would never reach for the crackers in the, you know, in the afternoon. Uh, but when it gets to be nighttime and you're pressed for time, uh, you know, then it's, uh, it's a very convenient thing to have around. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul, so that meal you had today with the leftover pork, how, how did you guys go about cooking that pork? Was that like a, was that like a big uh, roast that you cooked or something and you had leftovers? No, we have a recipe for that on our site. Um, it was uh, Dung Po's pork. That's a, a classic dish of Chinese cuisine. Uh, and it's made with pork belly and um, other pork meats. And also with uh, you know, a wide range of vegetables like uh, radish, carrots, onions, uh, other things. And then they, uh, you know, we use a little broth and a sauce. Um, you know, so it's um, and it's a very famous uh, dish of uh, classic Chinese cuisine, and uh, uh, you know, so if anyone's interested, they can they can go to our website and click on the recipes tab, and then search for Dung Po's pork, D O N G P O. Okay, great. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Paul, you mentioned in your book that you should really strive for deliciousness when you're eating, uh, when you're making foods, and that our bodies really evolved to sort of crave a certain combination of foods that make them taste better. Uh, what about the hyperpalatability of foods? Is that something we need to be careful of? Um, I don't think so. Not with natural whole foods. Um, you know, so our brain's desires, if we're eating natural whole foods, uh, you know, they'll guide us to the best combination. You know, so the problem is really with, in, the problem of hyperpalatability is really with industrial foods. That, you know, when you look at the ingredients lists of uh, cookies, cakes, things like that, you know, it'll start with starch, sugar, oil. 
And you can go down the list, there's no micronutrition. You know, so you're just getting calories, macronutrients, and flavoring, and preservatives and stuff. And, you know, there's no micronutrition. You know, so it's nothing like, you know, and no fiber. You know, so it's nothing like what you get with uh, natural whole foods. And, you know, so basically what happens is, uh, you know, they make it tasty so that you like eating it. Uh, but then it's not really nourishing your body. And your brain figures out, oh, our body isn't getting the nutrition that we need. And so it says eat more food. And, uh, you know, and, and this food satisfies our, uh, you know, our uh, taste that signifies, oh, this is something that ought to have nutrition in it, but it doesn't. And so basically you can get in a cycle where, you know, your brain keeps you know, directing you to go back to those foods because it thinks they should have nutrition and it's sensing that our body needs nutrition, you know, but you keep going back to it and you never get the nutrition you need. And so it's like a, you know, an endless cycle where you just keep eating and eating and you never satisfy your hunger. How about that chocolate bar that you had today? Uh, do you, do you just, uh, kind of, is that just a, a treat that you have on occasion or, is, or do you eat chocolate on a, on a daily basis? Um, I, I eat chocolate almost every day, you know, maybe uh, 25 grams a day. Um, so, you know, I think chocolate in moderation is a health food. So, um, you know, I eat uh, dark chocolate, so there's very little sugar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember reading in your book, I, I believe chocolate has, um, I think it was either magnesium or copper in it. Is that correct? Yeah, it has it has some minerals. Um, it also has some uh, polyphenols, which may be beneficial for your gut flora. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you know a lot of plant foods you don't want to overdo any of them, and chocolate is one of those things you can overdo. Uh, but uh, in small doses, it's probably good for you. Okay. Paul, you know, I'm wondering, uh, you know, talking about just how, how to make this lifestyle work on a daily basis, there's sometimes where I, I don't have leftovers in the fridge and I'm, I might need to go out to eat. And let's say, would going out to get a gluten-free Domino's pizza or another option that I've, I've gotten from time to time is just a Vietnamese restaurant down the road. They have a, a pho noodle soup. Are either of those okay options? Yeah, those are both good choices. So, you know, we probably get Domino's gluten-free pizza maybe twice a year. Um, you know, it's something we've done fairly often when we go to the beach. Uh, uh, you know, for instance, uh, this last summer we went to the beach at Newport, Rhode Island, and I think we picked up some uh, Domino's gluten-free pizza while we were down there. And, um, uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, Vietnamese restaurants, uh, uh, pho or noodle soup is, is generally a very good choice. You know, the main thing you need to worry about in a lot of restaurants is the oils that they're cooking with. They tend to use high omega-6 oils, uh, so you don't want to get greasy, oily food. Uh, you know, but the noodle soups uh, will tend to be pretty good. Uh, they, they, won't, they probably won't add oil, or uh, they might have even prepared them with a good uh, you know, they might, even if they're oily, they might have, it might have come from bones or something, something healthful if it's a good restaurant. Okay. 
So we, we've talked about some, some easy ways to make health, healthy meals um, and to include healthy foods. A few other things that you recommend are including things like bone broth and uh, you mentioned egg, egg yolks already and uh, fermented vegetables on a regular basis. So how, how about um, bone broth? D is that something that we can buy at the store or do we actually have to go through the process of making that? Um, I haven't seen it in the store. I mean, you can buy you can buy gelatin. You you, you can buy bone broths, but uh, uh, we don't do that. We make it ourselves. Uh, and you can get bones from Whole Foods. You can get bones from uh, local farmers. Uh, so all of our local farmers at farmers markets who sell who sell you know grass fed meats will sell bones. And uh, you know so. It's not that hard to find them, at least where we are. And uh, um, you know, I've heard I've heard some readers say that it can be really hard in some places. Uh, strangely, California was one of those places I've heard that complain about. It seems like uh, California would have uh, a pretty good selection of food, but um, you know, at least around New England, it's really easy to get uh, to get good bones and. You know, so and it's really easy to prepare your own bone broth. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, when you when you can do it yourself and you have control over the ingredients and the outcomes, then uh, it's always going to come out better. Okay, okay, Paul, do you have any tips for me on making that process easier? Because I I've tried uh, boiling the bones and uh, adding some vegetables and things to spice it up. And, but I always end up with an oily top surface and then a, a lot of scum and things like that. How can I make that easier? Well, the thing to do is uh, first, you know, just work with bones only and filtered water. Uh, put, uh, you know, enough water to cover the bones and just sort of warm it, simmer it for 45 minutes, just enough to get all the blood out and to turn all the blood brown and then discard that and start again with fresh water. And that'll get rid of most of the scum. You know, so the scum will be from blood, it'll be from bacteria, uh, things like that. And you know, just the first simmer will kill them and draw them out and you can discard them. Uh, so then in the next round, you know, cover them with water and simmer for like three hours. And that should get a lot of the fat out. So then you'll have a layer of fat, but it really shouldn't have scum. Uh, and then after that three hours, you can let it cool. You can skim off the fat and put it aside in a container. Uh, and, you know, that fat is very healthy. And you can use it as a cooking fat. Um, and you can mix it back into your uh, soups and stews. Uh, and, you know, so that's definitely a good, uh, a good set of fat to use in your cooking. And we'll basically you know, cook the bones five times for about three hours. Uh, and so we'll make five batches of uh, stock. And uh, most of the fat will come out of the bones in, in the first round, uh, just about all of it in the first two rounds. And, you know, so that uh, fat that you skim off uh, the first round, you can distribute it over all five rounds in order to make the amount of fat fairly even and use a little for cooking. And, uh, you know, then you'll have what most people uh, would say is a very pleasurable tasting, you know, fat content for your broth. 
Uh, the protein comes out of the bones a little more slowly, you know, so that's distributed over the five rounds. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then what I would do is, you know, when you actually start making a soup, that's when I would add vegetables and uh, other things. And, uh, you know, so just use the, uh, the bone stock and, uh, you know, draw from that for any of your cooking. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's very easy and very quick to make delicious soups. And how, how do you save that bone broth? Are you freezing it or putting it in jars? Uh, no, we just put it in the refrigerator. So we tend to use a fairly small pot, you know, like a two and a half quart pot. And we get, uh, you know, we just put uh, some bones in, just enough water to cover them. You know, so we're making less than two quarts of broth. And in our uh, family, we'll go through two quarts of broth. You know, we basically use it anywhere you'd use water. We, we use the bone broth. And so that'll last us maybe two or three days. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, once it runs out, then uh, in the evening after dinner, we'll just, uh, you know, put the, put the pot and the bones back on the stove, add just enough water to cover them, and, you know, give it another three-hour simmer. And then before we go to bed, uh, shut it off and, uh, uh, you know, put, put the broth in the refrigerator. And, uh, you know, then we have it another three days worth of uh, stock. Okay. Okay. So if I'm cooking some safe starches, like say white rice, uh, instead of using water, I, I would, I would just use that bone broth, right? Yep. You can use the, uh, the bone, the bone broth or stock to, uh, cook rice. Uh, you can use it any place you, you'd use water. Um, if you have leftovers, they've gotten a little dried out in the refrigerator. You can add some stock to it to, uh, moisten the food up and, uh, uh, you know, so any place you would use water, you can use stock. Okay, great. And and then one of the last things uh, that's a little bit uh, not different, but maybe more involved, is fermented uh, foods like or kimchi specifically. And I believe that's something that you guys make at home. Um, tell me how how involved is that process? Oh, it's it's really easy. So you know, it's pretty much just. Uh, chopping, chopping up vegetables and uh, putting them in, you know, covered in salt water in a jar and setting it aside for five days. And then, uh, and then you open it and start eating and move the jar to the refrigerator to slow down further fermentation. Um, you know, and it's delicious. So, you know, it's really easy. And that's another thing you can do. You know, both of these things, like we mentioned, the stock, the fermented vegetables, the cooking rice in a rice cooker or, you know, pressure cooker, um, you know, those are all things you can do at night after you're done eating. And, you know, you cook them in the evening and then you put things in the refrigerator or set them aside, uh, like the fermented vegetables. And then, uh, uh, you know, you've gotten rid of, you know, a large part of your cooking. Uh, and then it becomes very easy to put a meal together, you know. So you have the fermented vegetables as a vegetable side dish. You've got the starch. Uh, you just pull it out of your refrigerator. Uh, you've got the uh, stock for making soup or stews. Um, you know, you can also pre-cook meat, you know, like you could roast a large piece of meat. Um, so you can actually accelerate a lot of your cooking, you know, by pre-preparing ingredients. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Paul, we've talked about a lot of things today about uh, keeping the lights low at night, uh, how to prepare meals quickly and easily. Um, what are what are what else do you have going on lately that you'd like to share with the audience uh, to help make their lives better or easier? Um, are you working on anything lately? Yeah, well, we're we're always working on things, and uh, you know the things that are taking most of my time right now. We have a uh, health retreat called Perfect Health Retreat, and it operates on uh, a luxury location uh, on a magnificent beach in North Carolina. Uh, and we've got uh, two pools, two hot tubs. It's, uh, uh, it's a wonderful location. And we teach people how to be healthy, how to implement every aspect of uh, uh, the perfect health lifestyle. And you know, we have cooking classes. We have exercise classes. We have science classes. We've got health coaching, uh, personal training. Uh, we've got a terrific chef, uh, former chef, you know, private chef to uh, well-known musicians like uh, Stevie Winwood, R.E.M., uh, is, is chef at the retreat, and uh, uh, my wife leads the cooking classes, so you get you know practical home cooking lessons. Um, I do the health coaching, uh, so it's a uh, you know it's a really good experience, and uh, uh, you know and, uh, we just did one in October. Everybody loved it, and uh, you know so I think it's a uh, it's a really good experience. So if anyone, you know, really wants to, uh, you know, find the ultimate in uh, ancestral health, you know, uh, diet, lifestyle, uh, every aspect of uh, how to optimize everything, you know, then I'd say coming to our retreat is the best way to learn. And uh, then my wife and I are trying to finish up our cookbook. We've been, uh, uh, you know, sort of working on it for several years, but uh, we really want to give people a, you know, an easy, hands-on, you know, way to help them uh, learn how to implement our diet. Uh, and then we're, uh, you know, busy with our baby, so uh, we've got we've got plenty going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's uh, that's great. Now, at the Perfect Health Retreat, when did you say the next one is? Uh, well, the next one is going to be in May, okay. uh, May second through ninth next year, and. Uh, um, you know, so we've chosen those times uh, because the weather is magnificent, the water temperature is great for swimming, uh, and there are convenient times for us. So, you know, because um, I do uh, health coaching for the guests both before and after the retreats and during the retreats, uh, you know, so we can't do, we can't offer too many of the retreats, but uh, I you know, twice a year in May and October works pretty well for us. So, uh, uh, you know, we're excited about it and uh, we're really hoping to use the retreats as an opportunity to prove that, you know, we can really uh, help people achieve great health and cure diseases and, uh, you know, achieve great health outcomes through diet and lifestyle interventions. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, the the retreats are a very exciting um, thing that I hope will bring a lot of uh, credibility to the ancestral health movement. And Paul, the last question that I've been asking all my guests lately is, this this is specifically has to do with the paleo runner and and my question to you is if you didn't have to blog or anything and you could have all your bills paid for for the next three months. 
How fast do you think you could run one mile if you just had to focus on that one event? Oh, all right. That's a good question. You know, um, um, you know, I haven't even done enough running to, you know, get to the point where I'm happy, you know, having built a base, uh, you know, to even be doing much speed work. Um, I think it would take me more than three, three months to get to a, a number I would be proud of. Um, you know, I used to, you know, 20 years ago, I would, uh, I would, you know, I could run, uh, 10 miles at a six minute mile pace. And, uh, you know, I would probably, uh, have done one mile in, you know, maybe 520 or something right now. I think if I could do one mile in six minutes, that would be a huge accomplishment after three months of work. Um, you know, I probably, I probably run about, uh, seven and a half minute miles when I go out, uh, training and I do two to three miles a day. Uh, but I've done, you know, almost no, I, I've done no sprinting and, you know, no real, uh, speed work. So I think I'd have a hard time, uh, you know, just reaching a six minute mile. Well, uh, could I put you down now? I'm just going to give you a little flavor of who we've got, who else you're close to. Phil Maffetone says that he could do a 529. Uh, how do you think you could come close to him, or, or should I put you down for uh, maybe a 559? Uh, yeah, I mean 559. That would be my that would be my target, but I don't I don't promise that I would hit it in in three months of training. Okay, you know. Uh, uh, you know, I would, I would be proud if I ran, uh, 559. Yeah, that'd be a great time. Well, Paul, it's been great talking to you again today. And, and I thank you so much for, sh- uh, sharing about diet and lifestyle. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like audible.com. Audible has over a hundred thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.